Eat, eat, eat. In Hebrew, it's makal, akal, hakal. Partially poetic and yet reminiscent of the broken English of an immigrant. At least that's what it sounds like to me. These three words, makal, akal, hakal, are arguably the first command given by God to a person in the Bible. So I figured that's a pretty good starting place. I'm Henry Graff, and I want to welcome you to the Finding Tove podcast. Now, since this is our very first episode, I'm making the assumption that you know me. At least if you're listening in July of 2022, you know me. But podcasts, they're meant to be passed around. So hopefully, somebody found this helpful, and we have a mutual friend or even a friend of a friend who shared this with you. So I'm going to take a second and introduce myself a little bit. Then I'm going to give a framework for how I'm approaching this concept of Tov and honestly, the whole Bible. And then I want to cast just a little bit of a vision for, hey, here's where I see this thing going. Like I said, my name is Henry Graff. And titles, they have a time and a place. And for a lot of us, they've got all kinds of baggage around them. In fact, so much so, a future episode is just going to be called I've Got Baggage Around Titles, and we'll explore that. But officially, if you want titles, I am Reverend Dr. Henry John Graff V. And I mention that to give a little framework for where I'm coming from. Now, to some of you, you've heard Bible and Reverend or Pastor in the first two minutes of this podcast, and you want to turn it off. Um, I just want to own it. I grew up in the church, and I do identify as a Christian. And that phrase, identify as a Christian, is going to have a whole podcast dedicated to it as well. Um, I'm a called and ordained pastor of the Lutheran variety. And if you haven't turned this off yet, or if you're impressed by that, get ready to be unimpressed. For those that are into pedigree, I'm a mudblood. A Lutheran who went to a Quaker school to study under a Methodist doctoral father. And if that doesn't muddy the waters enough, it was my Jewish mentor that encouraged me to go to the Lutheran seminary. There's a time in the Bible where a man comes to Jesus wanting his daughter to be healed. And when he asks Jesus if he'll heal him, Jesus' reply is, if you believe, anything is possible. Now, sometimes they translate that, if you have faith, anything is possible, or if you trust, anything is possible. Those words can be used pretty interchangeably. But the man's response has gotten my attention. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, in the theater, and that includes movies, they honor this tension between belief and unbelief. In fact, they have a name for it. It's called the suspension of disbelief. See, when you go see a movie, deep, deep down, you know that there's CGI. But you suspend that disbelief so that you can enter into the story. I used to think that the goal was to get people to believe what I believed. But as I entered into this mystery of I believe help my unbelief, I realized it was a whole lot more of a teeter-totter. 
Um, there's times where I'm at 99% belief and 1% disbelief. And there's times where I'm at 99% disbelief and 1% belief. And it teeter-totters as I learn and grow and change. When we get honest, I think it's the same for all of us. And what's important for me is that you know that I honor your suspension of disbelief. Since this is my first podcast, it makes sense that I'd have my first outtake. I've recorded the same bit 30, 40 times and realized that it's so important that I I can't find a way to articulate it. But what I want to say is I honor your suspension of disbelief. I thank you for entering into this exploration of Tove with me. So if the concept of suspension of disbelief is interesting to you, just talk to any theater kid and they'll tell you all about it. If you really want to nerd out, the best book I've ever read on this is by a scientist turned philosopher named Michael Polanyi. It's a thick read. People be impressed that you're carrying it around. It's called Personal Knowledge. And when I mention a book like that, I'll put the the reference down in the show notes just so you can look it up later. Now, most of us think in tweets and sound bites, so I'm going to give you a couple just to really understand the framework that I approach this text from. Um, here's one of them. You've got to stand under before you can understand. Now, chances are that you're out for a jog when you're listening to this or driving and you can't capture that quote. So I'm going to repeat it again, but also know that on our social medias, that's what we'll be putting out this week as we start Tove Tuesday and move along. So I'm going to repeat that one one more time, and then I'll give you a couple others. You've got to stand under before you can understand. To put that another way, um, here's another tweetable. Let understanding precede criticism. Or to take it to the next level and wordsmith, I want to just quote Leonard Sweet, who I am so thankful mentored me through this Finding Tove process. The way he put it was, let celebration precede cerebration. One more time on that. Let celebration precede cerebration. That is, find something to celebrate about it before you pick it apart. So if you're listening in July of 2022, you'll see those tweetables out on our social media. And that's the framework for everything we're doing here. Whether it's this podcast or the Find Your Tove book, which comes out in nine weeks, or the coaching we're doing through Brother Dog, we know that we're entering into a concept and we're suspending our disbelief. So suspension of disbelief, or I believe help my unbelief, is how we're entering into this Finding Tove topic. And the tweetable here for what we're entering into, if you're into the tweetables, it's this. If you don't live your tove, then part of creation is left undone. 
Now, unless you've studied Hebrew, which I'm guessing most of you haven't, or you're part of a Jewish community or a Jewish ethnic group, you probably don't even realize you've heard the word tov. Now, you have mazel tov, T-O-V, tov or tov, you can pronounce it either way. And if you just heard Mazel Tov and now I've got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas is going through your head, just hit pause and celebrate that and sing along. Um, thank you, Will I Am and Fergie Ferg for introducing us to that, that line. Raise up your cup, Mazel Tov. You have heard the word Tov. This may be overstating it, but Tov is the most important concept in the world. I, I really do believe that if you don't live your tov, then parts of creation are left undone. If you're a Bible person, tov is the theme of the Bible. And you could argue there's other themes in there, but if it's not the most important thing in the Bible, it is definitely way, 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 way up there. And so you might be wondering, why haven't I heard this concept? Um, why is this thing even called finding Tove? And quite simply, it's because somewhere along the line, Tove got lost. One of the reasons suspension of disbelief is so hard is because when we hear Tove is a huge, important concept but we've never heard the word before and we've never unpacked what it meant. Um, there's this tension and sometimes people get defensive. In fact, it's not uncommon when I'm teaching on this at a conference for people to wonder what the conspiracy theory is or who's hiding something from him. And I really don't think that Tove has ever been hidden. It's just been lost. And I know when we say finding Tove, people sometimes default to hidden rather than realizing that really, really important things can be lost. Maybe I should give a spoiler alert, or maybe this is just a teaser for a future episode, but the simplest explanation to how Tove got lost is two things. Number one, translation is really, really difficult. The fact that we have a phrase lost in translation just points to that, that any time you translate from one language to another language, things get lost. Now that's compounded by the fact that words change meaning over time. And we'll dedicate a, a good chunk of a future episode to that, and I'll give you some stories and some f examples. But for now, it's important to just realize that Tove was never hidden, it got lost. Tove is drawn from the Hebrew scriptures. And yeah, it's important, and yes, it got lost. But those very same Hebrew scriptures, they leave room for things that are really important getting lost. Now, sometimes Jewish people refer to themselves as the people of the book. 
the first time I heard it, it was a professor of mine who had converted to Judaism later in life. And she joked that even as a child, she loved to read. So when it came time to pick a religion, it only made sense that she picked the people of the book. The book that we're talking about here is Torah. At least that's what it's usually called in the circles that I run in. I've also heard it called the Book of the Law, the Pentateuch, the Book of Moses. Whenever you have a bunch of names to describe the same thing, it means that that thing is really, really important. If you're coming at this from a Christian Bible, when I say Torah, what I mean is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when you hear the Jewish people referred to as the people of the book, or when they refer to themselves as the people of the book, that is always the book that we're talking about. Everybody in Judaism embraces Torah. That book is so important that the entire religion can be referred to as the people of the book. The book always means Torah. Now, sometimes that's expanded to also embrace the rest of what Christians call the Old Testament or what the Jewish people usually call either Tanakh or the Law and the Prophets. When we embrace the meaning of the book as all of Tanakh, which includes Torah but isn't just Torah, we're introduced to Josiah. Josiah became king of the people of the book, and at that time it only meant Torah because this part hadn't been written yet, when he was only eight years old. We've all seen enough movies to predict where this is going. And then hilarity ensued. I mean, what else would you expect with an eight-year-old king? Surprisingly, things went incredible with Josiah at the helm. Eighteen years in, he coordinated an effort to repair the temple. Nobody within Judaism thinks the book is unimportant. But I should mention that there's always been a, a tension, a division within Judaism between Torah and temple. If you went to Jerusalem right now, in 2022, you would still find a division over what's more important, the temple or the Torah. And that is only exacerbated by the fact that currently Israel does not own the Temple Mount and Islam has the Alaska Mosque on top of it. If experiencing that firsthand is something you'd be into, in the spring of 2023, I'll be leading a 14-day pilgrimage where we follow the footsteps of Jesus and engage with these Finding Tove concepts. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious power brokers of the day. Now, I have some of my very best memories going to camp as a kid. I loved it so much that I became a camp counselor when I got older. 
at camp, we'd have these nightly campfires and we'd sing kind of silly, kind of spiritual songs. Um, One of them was, and this is when I was introduced to Pharisees and Sadducees, um, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. Get it? There's a little pun there. Hopefully you're laughing. But you're probably not because those songs were designed for grade school students. We'd run around and scream about all the things that weren't fair in life. And we had a verse for the Sadducees as well um, because they're so Sadducee. And then we'd pretend to cry. And it was great fun. But when I walked where Jesus walked, I realized that these two groups were the religious power brokers in Jesus' day. Now, they were a very, very small percentage of the population. But basically, I'll break it down like this. The Pharisees, and these were mainly made up of rabbis who were teachers, they said the book is the most important thing. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they were made up of the priests, and they said the temple is the most important thing. Both the temple and the book are incredibly important. Everybody owns that. In fact, it's only the people that are kind of in control of the temple or in control of the book that are arguing that theirs is more important. The Pharisees have a horse in the race. The Sadducees have something to gain. And so you've got your book people and your temple people, your Pharisees, and your Sadducees, and that just highlights that everybody else thinks both are really, really important. All of that is to say that the value, the importance, the centrality of the book, Torah, and the temple really just can't be understated. So back to Josiah. Even though the temple is a holy site and it's incredibly important, it's still a building. And so to do a repair, you got to have carpenters and masons and people to buy the supplies and money's involved. So Josiah sends his secretary down to deal with the cash situation. People got to get paid. And the high priest... The man on the ground managing the project comes to the secretary, and this is what he said. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. This is utterly incredible. The fact that they found it means that it got lost. Torah was of central importance, and yet somehow it still got lost. Hey, if you're coming at this and you're a Christian, let me put it this way. The Bible tells you that the Bible got lost. If you're more into phrasing it in the Hebrew scripture mindset, the Tanakh tells us that Torah got lost. These are holy books, and what they tell us is that the holy book got lost. Now, for some of you, calling it a holy book is just suspending your disbelief a little bit too much. So I'd phrase it this way. 
A lot of people for a really long time have found wisdom in these texts. I'd call it ancient wisdom. And so maybe one way, if this is as far as you can suspend your disbelief, ancient wisdom tells us that ancient wisdom got lost. So yes, finding Tov means that somewhere along the line, Tov got lost. But it shouldn't surprise us that the most important things sometimes get lost. Ancient wisdom tells us that ancient wisdom gets lost. The fact that Torah was lost in the temple is, it's, it's almost comedic because temple is the place that Torah should have been most accessible. Maybe comedic isn't saying it right. My mom would always say, I gotta laugh or I'm gonna cry. It's one of those when the most important thing was lost in the most important place, the very place where it should have been most accessible, they could have spent all kinds of energy trying to figure out why it got lost or how it got lost or assigning blame, but they didn't. They got to living Torah. So even though this podcast is called Find Your Tove, and in nine weeks a book's going to drop with the same title, Find Your Tove isn't the end game. Live Your Tove is. About 20 minutes ago, I gave you the tweetable that's the goal of everything we do. And it's this, that we believe if you don't live your tov, then part of creation is left undone. If you don't find your tov, you can't live it. But if you do find your tov and you don't live it, that's completely missing the plot. Eat, eat, eat. The first command given by God to a person in the Bible. In Hebrew, it's makal, akal, ha'akal. Partially poetic. That's the sound of the words, the repetition, the enunciation. And yet to me, it's always had this, this reminiscence of the broken English of an immigrant. Yes, it's a command, but it's also a welcome. Eat, eat, eat. Sit at my table, makal, a call, ha a call. There is more than enough. Living tove means embracing more than enough. That's the reason this is the first command given to people. Now, when gas prices are high and stocks are low, that takes some major suspension of disbelief. If you stop and think that somebody, actually a lot of somebodies, are gonna go to bed hungry tonight, you can be walking around like the kid with the cracked tailbone because somebody jumped off the other side of that belief, unbelief, teeter-totter. The plan is to unpack why people go to bed hungry, as well as all kinds of other pain and suffering, in episode three. For now, Just know that eat, eat, eat means there is more than enough. 
next episode, we'll deal with the definition of Tove. And once we've done that, it'll make a whole lot more sense why there is more than enough. But I want to give this to you in bite-sized pieces. Embracing abundance does not mean that you eat it all right now. My guess is we've all had that experience where we ate too much and then had a tummy ache. And at the risk of giving you a little bit too much, I will tell you that when we get to episode three, you'll see that abundance has never been the issue, but access has been. But that is two episodes down the road, and this is just the first bite. Thank you for joining us for Find Your Tove. And as you go out, McCall, Hakal, Akal, you are welcome at the table, and there is more than enough. Go in peace as you find and live your Tove. <laughs>